Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed. In today's top stories, the Virgin Islands Port Authority celebrated its public-private partnership at a press conference on Wednesday. Officers on St. Croix came under fire during a traffic stop. Representatives from the Waste Management Authority sat down to provide updates. We speak with the Director of Immunization Program for the Virgin Islands Department of Health for an update on COVID vaccines in the territory. These are some of your headlines and more in today's WTJX Newsfeed. From the Virgin Islands Public Broadcasting System Studios on St. Thomas, this is the WTJX Newsfeed with Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Welcome to the WTJX Newsfeed, bringing you the latest news and updates throughout our community. At a press briefing in Government House, Virgin Islands Territorial Emergency Management Agency Director Daryl Joshin provided an update on Tropical Storm Tammy as it nears the territory. And by TEMA has been in constant contact with the National Weather Service in Puerto Rico the latest as of 1225 today. There are Hurricane Hunter aircraft up airborne currently and several additional reconnaissance flights scheduled for this evening and tomorrow. As of the 11 a.m. Uh, update, Tropical Storm Tammy was located near latitude 13.6 north and longitude 55.7 west. Tammy's moving toward the west, northwest near 15 miles an hour, which is much slower than yesterday. It was going about 25 miles per hour yesterday. A slower west-northwest motion is expected through tonight. A turn toward the northwest is forecast on Friday. So currently it's going west, but it's going to take a sharp turn and come right up the uh, Tilly's chain. Uh, this motion should continue over the weekend. On the forecast track, the center of Tammy will move near or over the Leeward Islands Friday and Saturday. As we update the news feed, last night officers came under fire while conducting a traffic stop on the island of St. Croix. Police Chief Sean Santos provided us with details. Last night, officers were patrolling in the Sugar Mill area. They spot a vehicle that was heavily tinted, no license plate. When they made an attempt to traffic stop the vehicle, two occupants exited the vehicle in a hastily manner and fired shots at the police, at the officers, and took off running. Officers immediately took cover um, was unable to return. Once the scene was saved, they approached the vehicle and found a legal firearm in the vehicle. The officers are okay, and we do have two individuals that, based on leads from the community, that we should be able to apprehend shortly after conducting our investigation. As we continue to update, Governor Albert Bryan Jr. has proclaimed that all flags to be flown at half-staff for all public buildings and grounds throughout the territory on Friday, October 20th, from sunrise to sunset, in honor of the late Senator Alicia Chucky Hansen. He urged owners of private buildings in the territory to follow suit. Funeral services for Senator Hansen will be held on October 20th at the Friedenstahl Moravian Church in Christiansted, with viewing at 9 a.m. and service to begin at 10 a.m. Internment at Kings Hill Cemetery will follow. In more updates, following the results of the water testing done on St. Croix that revealed high levels of lead and copper, Senate President Novo Francis Jr. has filed legislation that would appropriate $150,000 to provide bottled water to those households that are impacted by the elevated levels of copper and lead in potable water. 
the intent is, is really to be able to provide um, water to those residents that have been identified as the red zone um, area, um, consequential to the report that there is copper and lead um, that affected several areas on St. Croix in particular. Um, specifically, so far, based on the current analysis, the area of Mumbijou, um, Calcahoon, Castle Burke, and Estate Diamond has been deemed to have um, you know, lead and copper uh, lines um, in the water there. So as a result of that, I'm proposing that we provide water uh, to those residents again so that they could at least um, address their ability to get water, one, two, and that as a community, they don't have to continue to, to endure the burdens of um, expending additional monies. Um, this seems to have been a situation where um, there's an impact on the water system and it's only fair that as a government um, that we try to provide some relief to those residents. As we update, Senator Samuel Carrion reiterated his call for a state of emergency to be issued to address St. Croix's water crisis. Senator Carrion made that request in early September and questioned how long it would take to truly address the issue. In a recent press release, the senator stated that for two months, he had seen that the water was undrinkable and that we were facing a crisis situation. Senator Carrion moved on to maintain that many people were not comfortable using the water and that further action must be taken. As we continue to update, while talking with Neville James, host of the WTJX radio show Analyze This, representatives from the Waste Management Authority sat down to provide updates in the department. Executive Director Roger Merritt gave an update on grant money the department has received for further projects in the territory. A lot of grant money that's helping us build some more convenience centers here, like Peter's Rest. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll start implementing waste diversion there. That'll actually save us uh, space in the landfill. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, to, I mean, you, you said it, you, to have a fully functional system and a fully functional solid waste infrastructure, we need additional revenue to, to maintain that system. I mean, I think, you know, every time, uh, you know, from a, from the standpoint of solid waste or wastewater, you know, that, 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 that structural deficit that I mentioned, that takes into account all the emergencies that we've, that we have to deal with. So mm -hmm. we, we get calls on a regular basis about the, the, the sewer system, you know, having issues. Now that's going to be an issue of the past soon, but prudent replacement, you can't, we can't just snap our fingers and have the whole entire wastewater infrastructure replaced around St. Croix. That's going to be a phased in thing. So that's going to take a while. Chief Engineer Alex Bruni responded to inquiries about solid waste in the territory. Where we're going right now is more of a change in our lifestyle, the way that we are accustomed to operating within the territory. Uh, we're moving towards waste diversion territory-wide, and that would come about the way that we dispose of our solid waste as, as throughout the territory. For example, instead of just having a bag and just putting all your belongings into the trash and you dispose of it, we're going to be moving into... Um, different plastics and, and glass and, and different aspects to try to expand the life of the, the landfill. If you think about it, the less we put into the, the landfill, the more um, the landfill will, will last. Responding to challenges when it comes to recycling in the territory, Mr. Bruni commented. I think the most challenging part about doing the recycling here is our geographic location where anything that we recycle has to be shipped off island. Mm -hmm. If we could get companies to come in and try to repurpose or restructure that that um that material into something else here locally 
that would help a lot because we could actually um, employ individuals and try to do some type of exporting um, versus just shipping raw material. Director Merritt responded to inquiries on where he wants to see the territory as it relates to the Waste Management Authority. Well, here on St. Croix, we're, we got an RFP out, a request for proposal out for uh, building the three convenience centers here for Mimbazoo, Concordia, and Cotton Valley. So and that should be, I think, the, the end date for, for people to submit bids is the middle of next month. Mm -hmm. So then we'll get that, review it, uh, you know, uh, identify the, the you know the respondent that has the best that has the best bid and then hopefully start construction on that at the beginning of next year so then so so six months that's something that we want to want to want to have started for the full interview head over to the wtjx app or search analyze this with neville james to listen on demand wherever you get your podcasts on Wednesday, the Wonder of the Seas, the world's largest ship with a capacity of 7,000, docked at the Austin Babe Monsanto Marine Terminal in Crown Bay on St. Thomas. The ship was the backdrop for a press conference held by the Virgin Islands Port Authority to signify its partnership with the Royal Caribbean Group and investor Cruise Terminals International. At the press conference, representatives shared their details of plans to transform the Crown Bay Marina into a world-class destination that will cost an estimated $250 million. Port Authority Executive Director Carlton Dow shared that the public-private partnership would help to transform the United States Virgin Islands. From in 2016, we started to forge a partnership with Royal Caribbean and do some exciting things with them. We had some announcements uh, previously. So RCL and CTI, the partnership that we're talking about is primarily so that we could develop and enhance these facilities. No one in the world, or the Caribbean for that matter, is sitting back and waiting on the U.S. Virgin Islands. We must move along with the time and be ahead of others in the world and in the Caribbean. The way we're going to get there, the one I want to make a couple things abundantly clear, is that We've got to do this through a public-private partnership. And I just continue to say to this community that there is no barrier, there's nothing foreign, nothing strange about public-private partnership where everybody, the private entity wins, the government of the Virgin Islands wins, and of course the, the Port Authority wins, which means the entire community wins. Joshua Carroll of the Royal Caribbean Group shared his excitement about the future of the partnership by sharing details of a cruise line expected to port on the island. What's really exciting, I don't know that a lot of folks know this, but so we have a brand new ship called Icon of the Seas that is being delivered in January of next year. Icon will now become the newest, largest, most innovative ship in the world. It'll hold over 7,000 passengers, up to about 7,500. And on its very first cruise with guests, it'll be coming here and visiting St. Thomas. You know, there's only a handful of ports in the world that are gonna have that ship visiting them with really the most iconic, innovative uh, attractions on a cruise ship that exist. Mr. Carroll provided insight into another project that will be undertaking at the marina. And additionally, we'll be building an additional berth uh, behind here where another icon ship will be able to come. It'll basically double the capacity of the port, 
as we expand some of the existing infrastructure and then we're able to build the new one. While the Crown Bay Marina will begin seeing major changes on St. Thomas, Director Carlton Dow shared how the partnership has benefited the island of St. Croix so far. In St. Croix, St. Croix was seeing 40,000 passengers annually because of our relationship and the commitment that Royal had made to us. Last year, we saw over 150,000 passengers into St. Croix. As we continue to update, during Wednesday's board meeting for the Virgin Islands Port Authority, the board approved the authority to continue its work with international partners to develop and expand the territory's cruise ports. Also on the agenda, board members discussed whether to write off $1.9 million in accounts receivables as bad debt. Responding to inquiry from board member, former Senator Celestino A. White Sr. about whether attempts were made to collect these funds, he received this response. Uh, most of these are accounts that are over, well, the amounts that are there are basically from old accounts. Some of them are before the storm, some of them are after. Basically, we're cleaning up a lot of the old accounts that have been sitting there that we have exhausted it. Some of them are out of the legal collection period. Some of them are not, but it's basically accounts that um, we have an accounts receivable analyst. She makes contact. We send letters. We send certified. A lot of them end up getting taken off of account if they're not paying, and then we put them on cash only. We send letters to there's legal ones that go through um, that goes up to the legal department because everything we forward them, we have to send them the information. So that's basically what we do. Um, we, there's a policy that says what are the steps, and we go through those steps until it gets to the point where we deem them uncollectible. Some of these are here, a lot of them, there's deceased ones that are gone. There's some that have been around where back and forth based on decisions made that the balance is back up. I mean, there's one customer on here that basically makes up most of this accounts receivable, and it's the old account down at Crown Bay with the Bayonco Center. Mr. White inquired further on whether the entities who owe money are presently still doing business with the Port Authority. To that, he received this response. We have maybe three, I think, that does. But one of them has been a dispute about a water bill that um, we do not have the backup for from way back. So one of the issues that happened is that these accounts continue to generate interest on those old bills, so it compounds and compounds. And it just came to the point where we don't have the backup, so we just can't, it doesn't make sense to keep having it there and compounding and compounding. A motion was moved to approve the request and was passed with board member Celestino White Sr. being the only member voting against. Attorney General Ariel Smith abstained from voting and board member and tourism commissioner Joseph Buscholti was absent from the meeting. As we update the news feed, Last month, the Center for Disease Control recommended that everyone six months and older get an updated COVID-19 vaccine to protect against what they say is the potentially serious outcome of COVID-19 illness during the fall and winter. States across the nation have reported a short supply of the vaccine, however. To provide an update on the availability of COVID-19 vaccines in the territory, we spoke with Monifei Stout, Director of Immunization Program for the Virgin Islands Department of Health. It's a universal issue that is um, felt by all 64 jurisdictions of immunization programs across the United States. 
and it's our hope that moving forward allotments would increase but that allotment um, are those that are made available for persons who are uninsured and underinsured speaking on the department providing the covid vaccine Ms. Stealth clarified. What needs to be made clear is that the emergency response to the pandemic had ended uh, earlier this year. So what persons may understand or what they experienced prior to where the Department of Health or specifically the immunization program provided vaccines universally through mass vaccination clinics and every other outlet whether public or private provider, is no longer. As of this fall, the COVID-19 vaccine has become commercialized. And what I want your listeners to understand is that what that means is that it's now folded into the regular cadre of vaccines that are made available through vaccinating providers, entities, pharmacies, as you would find the flu or any other um, routine vaccine for adults. What has happened since the commercialization is that vaccines were made available to persons who are uninsured and underinsured through what is called a bridge access program that was developed federally and an incentive by uh, the U.S. president to ensure that equitable access to this new COVID vaccine that is now commercialized is accessed by persons who otherwise may have had a challenge um, affording it. We asked Mrs. Stout if COVID is still something residents in the territory should be concerned about. Yes. The, the, the fact that, you know, the virus is still, still exists um, is very true. We still have um, instances where um, persons still are coming down with COVID. With that, you want persons to still be vigilant about their health. As of the 15th of October, we have 11 cases of COVID across the territory. So it's still here. Upon his return trip from Israel, amid the wake of violence over the last two weeks in the region, President Joe Biden will address the nation from the Oval Office this evening. PBS and PBS NewsHour will provide live coverage. The speech is expected to be around 15 minutes and begin approximately at 8 p.m. Coverage will air on WTJX-TV Channel 12 and WTJX Business on Via Cable Channel 91, or 12.3 over the air using an antenna. Following the speech, the PBS NewsHour team, anchored by Amna Nawaz and Jeff Bennett, will provide a brief analysis. Coverage will also be live-streamed on pbs.org backslash NewsHour. The Virgin Islands Department of Education's Division of Cultural Education is accepting student art submissions for its upcoming exhibition. Stephanie Shalana Brown for the department provides the details. David Hamilton Jackson and Aloe is an interdisciplinary project. It's in its third year and it aims to celebrate the legacy of David Hamilton Jackson. And he was a profound impact on our community and culture. Uh, we believe that his legacy is not just a thing of the past, but it continues to resonate with our students and the issues that they face today. Engaging our students we are keen involving students in this project in a manner that allows them to express themselves creatively. We want them to reflect on how David Hamilton Jackson's legacy 
affects their own lives, especially concerning current issues that they experience and care deeply about, whether it's through art or writing, music, or any other form of expression. We want our students to share their perspective. The students honor Jackson through a showcase, um, and we exhibit in November. Um, previously, it was called I Am David Hamilton Jackson. This year, we opted for a name change, and it's called David Hamilton Jackson and Alawi Creative Expression for Cultivating Awareness and Social Change. Student projects can be submitted online by going to the department's Facebook page for the link. Projects are due Friday, October 20th. As we move down the WTGX news feed, we're turning now to the regional report. The chief suspect in the disappearance of Natalie Holloway has admitted that he beat the young Alabama woman to death on a beach in Aruba after she refused his advances. Joran Vandersloot said that he dumped Natalie's body into the sea. New details in the killing emerged Wednesday as he pleaded guilty to extorting Holloway's mother. While Vandersloot has not been charged in Holloway's death, he attempted to gain a quarter million dollars from the teen's mom in exchange for information about where to find Holloway's body. The family said that seeing Vandersloot in court allowed them to move on from years of doubt and uncertainty. Natalie Holloway went missing during a high school graduation trip with classmates to the island of Aruba. She was last seen on May 30, 2005, leaving a bar with Vandersloot, who is a Dutch citizen and was a student at an international school on the island where he grew up. Vandersloot was questioned in the disappearance, but never prosecuted. A judge declared Holloway dead, but her body was never found. Reporting from the AP News stated that the Aruba Public Prosecutor's Office said it was not immediately clear whether Vandersloot could face murder charges on the island and that the investigation into Holloway's disappearance is still open and that authorities are following up on any serious leads. That's according to the prosecutor's office spokesperson, Anne Angela. Vandersloot, now 36, pleaded guilty to one count each of extortion and wire fraud in exchange for a 20-year sentence. The prison term will run concurrently with a 28-year sentence. He's currently serving in Peru for killing another woman, Stephanie Flores, in 2010. U.S. Judge Anna Manasco said the details of his confession factored into her sentencing decision. As we update the news feed, we're turning now to the territory's weather forecast. Here's your latest short-term forecast for the Virgin Islands. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We'll find clouds increasing this afternoon at St. Croix. Temperatures will climb into the upper 80s and the lower 90s. Heat index values are as high as 109 to 110. Uh, scattered showers and a thunderstorm are likely as we go towards sunset. At St. Thomas and St. John, we'll find a few more clouds and a few less showers as we go towards sunset. Temperatures as a result will reach the lower 90s. Heat index values close to 111. 11 as we go into the second half of the afternoon. Showers are numerous tonight at St. Croix. Temperatures will fall back to near 80. At St. Thomas and St. John, numerous showers are also expected, especially as we go towards midnight. Lows will fall back to near 80 as well. And numerous showers are expected during the day on Friday. They'll taper off as we go into the afternoon. Temperatures are not as warm, only in the upper 80s to near 90. Winds from the east at 15 to 20 miles per hour. And at St. Thomas and 
St. John. Numerous showers are expected during the day on Friday with less shower activity as we go into the afternoon. Temperatures only reach the middle to upper 80s. Winds are a bit stronger from the east-southeast at 20 to 25 miles per hour with gusts as high as 30 as we go through the afternoon. That's the latest look at your forecast. I'm meteorologist Eric Weglars. We are at the end of today's WTJX Newsfeed. I'm Marcelina Ventura Douglas. Join me every weekday at 5 p.m. Be sure to download the WTJX app. And if you missed a part of our news, listen to it on demand wherever you get your podcasts.